0: Tyler's message is how to grow through weakness. Weakness is not a trait or quality that most people treasure or or boast about. Actually, most of us hate to admit it, that we have any weakness. We want to be seen as strong and confident, in charge of our lives, calling all the shots, totally independent and able to handle anything, masters of our own ship, so to speak. Life throws at us with great assurance. That's, that's the way we want people to see us, isn't it? Totally self efficient. I've heard, I maybe heard from some of you. Yeah, I don't need any help. I'm okay. Well, it goes against the scripture, maybe, and what Paul's trying to bring out—the whole book of Acts—is how much the, that we do need each other. But on the flip side of that, it's easy for us to tell others about our strength and what we excel at. It boosts our self-worth, feeds our egos and pride, and makes us look good, actually. But actually, deep inside is the real honest truth, the truth that only God and ourselves know. We all have weaknesses, and as we'll find out today, it's in that secret chamber of our hearts and our lives that God can do His best work. So we ask this question, what brings our weaknesses to the surface and exposes them to the light? Trials and tribulation, and that's something we want to stay away from. We don't want that in our life, and none of us ever embrace it wholeheartedly, but we know that it's real. We know that any given time we can get a phone call, and just like that our worlds change. Sometimes trials come at us with full battle fury and tearing sword of one of Homer's mighty warriors in the Iliad. They charge into the rank and file of our lives and wreak havoc like Achilles of swift feet who charged into the ranks of the Trojans like a wild boar wielding sword and spear and despoiling his vanquished of their armor. Terrible plumed helmets, massive gilded shields, iron corselets, bronze leg greaves, all were torn torn away for booty and to shame, leaving behind the frail and vulnerable, naked and bloody, bloated bo- bodies of the enemy. Many of you might have seen a movie. I don't know if there's any Brad Pitt fans in here, but he was in a movie called Troy, and he was Achilles. And in that movie, in that clip, which is way too bloody to show, you can see him running fast across the field, and he just wades into the Trojans, and there's death everywhere. Many of us know what it's like to feel frail and vulnerable. Again, it's one of those times in our lives that we don't ask for it. We don't get up in the morning and pray, Lord, make me frail and vulnerable today. We don't do that, but nonetheless, it happens to us. To have a trial like Achilles, Achilles knock us down and with its heavy foot on our necks, strip away our jobs, our money, our achievements, the kind of armor that we don every day to hide our weaknesses and to make us feel stronger. But how, no matter how impregnable our armor seems, it cannot protect us from this piercing truth. We're only human. A lot of times we use that for an excuse when we make a tremendous mistake. But that's what we are. And on this earth will never be anything else. We're only human. Being sinful, we fail. Being prone to sickness, we hurt. Being mortal, we ultimately die. Pressure wears on us. Anxiety gives us ulcers. People intimidate us. Criticism often offends us. Disease scares us, and death haunts us. So we we need to admit that this morning, that we are flawed creatures who desperately need God in our lives 24-7. Amen? We grasp that. We're on the same page here. Yet, it is our weakness that opens the door to strength. It's an oxymoron almost. It just doesn't seem right. It's not a door that we walk through proudly with heads held high, but only through which we must stoop to enter. It's the same door that the Apostle Paul passed through in order to exchange his weakness for God's strength. That's where we're going this morning in, in 2 Corinthians. It's, uh, it's Paul's testimony of his weakness. He unveils those things that have led to his growth. One very surprising list of such things is found in chapter 11, verses 12, 23 through 30. Many of you have been in church for years. You've heard some what you thought was... Great testimonies. And maybe you've had said your own testimony. I think it's a good thing in testimonies. You know, I talked about that in the first service that in our life development process in 401, that's part of it, you give a five-minute testimony. And I've heard some incredible stories in that time, stories that we don't hear at church. Actually, we really don't know each other that well. When's the last time you heard another member of the body tell you what Christ was doing or what he meant in your life or even how you got there. It's just something we don't do. Maybe we need to start doing that. In 2 Corinthians 11, starting with verse 23, I just want you to to grasp what this man went through for God. They say they serve Christ. I know I sound like a madman, but I have served him far more. I have worked harder, been put in jail more often, been whipped times without number, and faced death again and again. Five different times the Jews gave me 39 lashes. Five times. If you've seen the Passion of Christ, you can see what the lashes done to a person's back. And I can't imagine if, if you saw Paul with no shirt on or no robe or no cloak, that his back was a mass of scars. You've probably seen pictures of the slaves that were beaten in the south You couldn't put your finger down where there wasn't a scar. This is what his back. Some people died, and it happened to him five times. Three times was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. When the Jews stoned somebody, they did a good job of it. They made sure they were dead. So Paul, again, we get into this other scripture when he was caught up to a third heaven. When he was stoned at Lystra, I believe he was dead, and God brought him back to life. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. I have traveled many weary miles. I have faced danger from flooded rivers and from robbers. I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I have faced danger in the cities and the deserts and on the stormy seas. And I have faced danger from men who claim to be Christians but are not. I have lived with weakness and pain, weariness. I have lived with weariness and pain and sleepless nights. Often I have been hungry and thirsty and have gone without food. Often I have shivered with cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Then besides all this, I have the daily burden of how the churches are getting along. And here his pastor heart really rises to the surface. He has a burden for these people. As I have said numerous occasions, and perhaps you've heard from other pastors, there's come a day when I've got to stand before God and be accountable for the way that I loved and pastored you all. So that's what Paul is talking about that. Who is weak without my feelings, that weakness. Who is weak without my feeling, that weakness. He's talking about the brothers and sisters. Who is led astray and I do not burn with anger. If I must boast, I would rather boast about the things and show how weak I am. You would have thought, Paul, he was the best church planner that ever lived, that he would have bragged about that. He said, man, look at, look at all these places I went. Look at all these places I started, all these churches. Or the influence he had. Or his Damascus Road encounter with Christ. If you read that story in Acts, it's another amazing story. Paul was on his way to bring Christians and change to Jerusalem and actually have them killed, actually. He was out to wreck the Christian church from the beginning because he hated it. Jesus Christ spoke from heaven to him audibly. How many people you know that that's happened to? You know, he could have bragged about that. Or his trip to the third heaven. This has always been an amazing passage to me. There are three heavens. Third heaven is the abode of God. It's where God lives. It's where Jesus sets at his right hand. The second heaven is the atmosphere, from earth's atmosphere to heaven. And the first one is the ground we stand on to the first atmosphere. Verse, 12, or verse 2 through 6 in chapter 12 I was caught up into the third heaven 14 years ago. Whether my body was there or just my spirit, I don't know. Only God knows. But I knew that I was caught up into paradise and heard things so astounding they cannot be told. That experience is something worth boasting about, but I am not going to do it. I'm going to boast only about my weaknesses. I have plenty to boast about and would be no fool in doing it because I would be telling the truth, but I won't do it. I don't want any to think more highly of me than what they can actually see in my life and my message. But instead, Paul said, I would rather boast in my weaknesses. Why? Because he pulls back the veil on the answer to this question in 12, 8 through 10, beginning in verse 7. He mentions the nagging thorn in the flesh that humbled him, that brought him to his knees on numerous occasions. God had allowed something in his life that he did not like. It was like a monkey on his back. He couldn't get rid of it. And he asked God three times, actually. God tells him why that he did that. And sometimes in our own lives, the things that continue to neg us, we wonder if that might be us as well. 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. Even though I have received wonderful revelations from God, but to keep me from getting puffed up, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from getting proud. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my gracious favor is all you need. My power works best in your weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may work through me. Since I know it is all for Christ's good, I am quite content with my weaknesses and with insults and hardships and persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When's the last time you thought that in your life, if ever? I'm content, Lord. I'm content with my weaknesses. I'm content when people assault me with insults and call me all manners of names. I'm content with hardship. Make it tough, Lord. Make my day so hard that I don't even want to get out of bed in the morning. Persecutions? We don't know what that means. And Calamities a bad doctor's report, a call in the middle of the night that your child or grandchild was in a bad accident. You don't ask for those, do we? Those aren't on our prayer list. Paul said, I'm content with them. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul learned that being weak opened the door to God's power to be released and brought fulfillment in his life. The most interesting thing I think about Paul's stress would be according to the study done by Dr. Thomas H. Holmes and his colleagues at the University of Washington. When Diane and I went in the ministry, I was disillusioned to the, what that might entail. I thought it was going to be a big party. I thought that every time I preached, that tons of people would fall on their face at the altar and give their hearts to Jesus. And I was opened up to another world that I didn't realize the way it was. was, You know, people always talk about people going into the ministry for the money. That, <laughs> that's not true. And if you're not called of God, you won't make it. You won't last. Because it's at these times where God gets you face-to-face And you realize that it's only through His power that you're going to make it. Stress kills people. You all know it. The only place where you get away from stress is the grave. There's two things in leadership that will put the hammer on you, and maybe you experience in business as well. Stress and expectations. Whether you lead, whether you pastor a group of 10 or 10,000, every person in every chair has an expectation of you, and there is no way on this earth that you can meet them all. You've got to be who you are. Let the cards fall where they may, so to speak. So in this stress scale, they said that they came to this conclusion is that an acclamation of 200 or more life change units in any year may mean more disruption than any individual can stand. On their scale, death of a spouse was 100 units, divorce was 73, and Christmas equaled 12 units. From a strict human viewpoint, they felt no person in their own strength could handle stresses totaling 200 or more life change units in a year. Can you imagine, Paul? Stress in any given year must have rated in the thousands. The only way he survived that, he was willing to admit his weakness, and God was able to be strong through him. And down through the year, through the centuries, there have been other people that have grasped that, and they became great people of the faith because they let God handle their weaknesses with them, as was in the life of one of the greatest missionaries that ever lived, the Scotsman David Livingston. God shone through his weaknesses so much, the Holy Spirit uh, uh, emitted an aura about him. When people seen him, they knew there was something up with him that was different. His very presence created an awe. The chancellor of the University of Glasgow introduced one day to the young men of that university, God's missionary, David Livingston. When Livingston stood up and walked to the front of the platform to speak to the group of university men, the students looked at him earnestly. They saw his hair burn crisp under the torrid tropical sun. They saw his body wasting and emaciated from jungle fever. They saw his right arm hanging limp at his side, destroyed by the attack of a ferocious African lion. And when the students looked at Livingston, they stood up with one accord in awe and in silence. Before God's missionary, here was the genuine article. There's a ton of people that prayed around in the kingdom of God that aren't real. Some do it for money. Some do it for applause. Some do it just to be in the spotlight. But when you run across the genuine article in Christ, you know it. Because the Holy Spirit is is emitted around them. David Livingston wore his weaknesses as a medal of honor for his God. On his last birthday, March 19th, 1873, He made the following entry in his journal. Thanks to the almighty preserver of men for sparing me thus far on the journey of life. Can I hope for ultimate success? So many obstacles have arisen. Let not Satan prevail over me, O my good Lord Jesus. A few days later, he added this. Nothing earthly will make me give up my work in despair. I encourage myself in the Lord my God and go forward. But at last, we know that there's a limit to endurance of even an iron constitution, although fortified as it was in Livingston's case by an almost indomitable will and his weakness at the beginning of April was pitiful. Still, in spite of intense pain and bodily weakness, he kept on his way even so exhausted that he had to be carried on a litter. On the morning of May 1, 1873, David Livingston was found kneeling by his bed, Had buried his hands on a pillow. He had left this earth talking with the Father. Boy, it almost makes me ashamed as I read these things. I'm nowhere close to this. God has taken away the greatest man of his generation, for Dr. Livingston. Dr. Livingston stood alone, so wrote Florence Nightingale to his sorrowing daughter. As a missionary explorer, he stood alone traveling 29,000 miles in Africa. That's amazing, isn't it? Adding to the known portion of the globe about a million square miles, discovering lakes Nagami, Shirwa, Nyasa, Moro, and Bangweolio, the upper Zambezi and many other rivers, and the wonderful Victoria Falls. He was also the first European to traverse the entire length of Lake Tanganyika and to travel over the vast watershed near Lake Banguiola, and through no fault of his own, he almost discovered the source of the Nile. He greatly increased the knowledge of the geography, fauna, and flora of the interior, yet never lost sight of the great objectives in his life, the putting down of the slave trade and the evangelization, evangelization of Africa. He was buried in Westminster Abbey in London along with 3,200 kings and queens and famous people. A story that always stuck in my mind that um, this person telling this story said he was in Westminster Abbey and in front of Livingston's plaque where he's buried. There was a man that was wrapped in great sobs um, almost unconsolable, the guy went up and put his hand on his shoulder and he said, sir, what, what what's the problem? He said, my issue is this. When David Livingston was called to Africa, so was I. He went and I didn't. I think some of us will have some regrets on that day, on that judgment day. When we stand before Christ at the judgment seat of Christ and he has papers and he starts reading off issues in our lives. You know, I, I don't know how this works, but I wonder: is if, if there's in the record is all the times that the Holy Spirit came to our hearts and gripped it, and gave us instruction, wanted us to do this or that, or go here or go there, and we didn't go, but he did. And he, like Paul, understood his weaknesses and allowed God to work there. Would you say that you're honest about your weakness and in your life, when that comes up, you're allowing God to work there? And to take that weakness, whatever it is, and use it for Him. As we allow God to be strong in our weaknesses and in life, as He, uh, it will be God's power that gets us through. It will be God's power that we'll be able to to stand it and say with confidence in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And all things covers a vast area in our lives. You know, instead of being ashamed of our weaknesses, we should always be proud of them. Not only does it show that we are human, but it lets other believers know that we have a weakness as well, and we're not in this together, or alone, we're in it together. Weakness is the great leveler. There's only a few sin to greatness in life, but every one of us knows disappointment. We know setback. We know suffering. The pain of defeat and the gnawing ache of insecurity reminds people that they need a Savior and these those of our friends and family that don't know Christ they need to see that in us that we let down our guard admitting our weaknesses admitting we are not perfect people and therefore some is hard for them cuz some people believe that they're that the universe circles around them there's nothing wrong with them they're complete perfect But when we admit our weakness, we know that that's not true. It's admitting that our great and paramount need and dependence is upon Christ alone. It's admitting this, that we've not arrived. And we will not arrive on this side of the river. We won't reach perfection until we're on the other side. It's admitting that we are broken, unfinished people who live in a world that itself is broken because of the fall. We experience depression, burnout, cancer, sadness, death, grief, disability, disease, relational strife, loneliness, lust, anxiety, and the list goes on and on and on and on. We don't need to have a long, exhaustive list of weaknesses to pick from. You and I know where we're weak. You and I know where that Achilles heel is. Achilles, Greek mythology, his mom dipped him in the river Styx. She had hole hold his heel, and that was the only place he was vulnerable. Well, the enemy knew that, and that's what killed him. Satan knows ours. I say this a lot because it's, to me it's a great illustration. Satan doesn't go where you're strong. He goes to where you're weak and hammers and hammers and hammers and hammers. Till God finally squeezes our heart and stops it, that's not very positive or reassuring this morning, is it? That Satan is going to attack your weakness the rest of your life. That's when you got to get tough. <laughs> that's when you, when you got to stand up to him. That's when you got to give that weakness to God and say, "Lord, I cannot do this. The stress is way too much. I've got I've got i I've got to let you help me." The question is this morning: Who will? Control us through that weakness. Will it be our great God or our arch enemy, the devil? When trials charge into your life and start attacking like Achilles in the Iliad, do you, does your weakness kick in and you just kind of cower down and surrender and accept defeat and wave the white flag? Or do you cry out to Jesus for his help to ask the Holy Spirit to come and empower you, to rescue you, to help you Go through that battle that you fight, whatever that might be, and in Christ, win the victory. And shake your fist in Satan's face and say, you have no business here. I will defeat you. Then we bask in God's love and blessing because we allow him to shine forth in our lives and his will was done. David in Psalm 46 talks about clothing ourselves with the divine armor of God's strength. It tells us to remember three things, and the first one is this. His strength is immediately available. You don't have to wait. You cry out to God and he's there. Whether you're in the time of peace or in the thick of a battle, it is never too late to receive his strength. He is a very present help in trouble, verse 1 tells us. Second, his power is overpowering. There's no weakness that he cannot Stretch the tent of his power to cover in thirds, God's power is sufficient without our help. He only wants us to be willing, like Paul, to admit that weakness and to cry out to him to help us. In our text in 2 Corinthians 12, 7 and 10, Paul gives us four purposes for our weakness. If you've not heard anything else I've said this morning, I want you to take this home with you. It's in the bulletin. Four purposes for our weakness. My weakness keeps me from being conceited. It reminds me that I'm human. It reminds me every day that God's there for me. And without Christ, I am absolutely nothing. It's like the vine and the branches. That was in verse 2. In verse 9, Christ's power is made perfect in my weakness, the Christ shines through me. I got to tell you, the toughest part of my week is sitting down here right before I get ready to speak, because that's where Satan attacks me a lot, saying, man, Pastor Eddie, do you remember, you remember what your thoughts were last week? Do you remember what you said? And maybe even something that you done. You are a loser. How can you get up and preach to those people, and you're not perfect? You're not even close. This is Christ. It's not Eddie. God, I always pray every time I speak, Lord, use this mouth, use this braid to glorify you. Number three is so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And in four, when I am weak, then I am in strong only in Christ. That's verse 10. How do we go through a weakness by allowing Christ to have his way in our lives? The question is, are you doing that? Or have you even thought about it? A lot of times with our weakness, we gripe and complain and about it. We don't try to combat it, but I hope that you do. If there's any place in our life that the, the devil can have his way, it's it's in that weakness. Father, I love these guys. I lift them up to you. I realize that I'm weak; that we are weak. And if there's any confidence in us, it ought to come through the power of you, Holy Spirit. That we realize that without you, we're pretty much zero, really. But boy, in you, Lord, (laughs) in your love, you you're there. You give us power. You give us guidance. You give us direction. So. I just pray right now, Lord, as we we think about who we are, that we are flawed creatures, but in you we become saints, which is, boy, it's hard to draw, connect the dots on that one sometimes, but it is what it is. And you're always there for us, Lord, and we appreciate that. So right now, Holy Spirit, as we draw this to a close, uh, you have spoken to hearts, and I just pray people respond. If there's anybody here this morning that doesn't know you, that wants to, that we can sure show them how, that they might come down. And I pray, God, that those of us who won't come down, as we sit in our seats, as you deal with us, Holy Spirit, that we just have an honest conversation with you, that our relationship is intact where it needs to be before we leave this building. We give you praise and glory, Lord, and we thank you for loving us and putting up with us. We ask these things in the name of Christ. Amen.